Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Keto people, I'm so excited to have on Chris Irvin from Perfect Keto live, Austin, Texas, right? Yes, Austin, Texas. Thanks for having me today. Oh, is it true that Austin has now been named the new uh, center of the universe for all things cool and culturally progressive? It, sur- it sure seems like it. I've, I've been here for about a year now, and I've had more unique experiences since coming here than I have anywhere else in the world. So it's been pretty awesome. Yeah, I've been going there frequently for some reason since 2001. There's all these weird things that brought me to Austin over the years, including my, my company had an office there. Um, I would go, of course, to the, um, the, the shows in recent years and um, I was doing some work with Lance Armstrong way back in the old days. And so I'd find myself there, you know, once or twice a year. And um, it just seemed like the place kept growing and um, becoming, you know, more lively with like the, the fitness community is um, just mind blowing when you're going for a run around um, Town Lake. And, um, you know, I, I've been to Golden Gate Park in San Francisco where there's, you know, mm-hmm. dozens of runners in every square block. And it's just kind of a cool thing for me being from places like Auburn, California, where I spent a lot of time training or right now I'm in um, a small area of Lake Tahoe. And so, you know, if you're out there like on a hike or a jog and you see a runner passing by you, you go, Hey, how's it going? You know? And then mm-hmm. like when I do that in Austin, I, I'm, I'm just nonstop. I, my mouth it gets tired because I'm <laughs> waving and saying hi to 475 people when I go to a four mile run. <laughs> Yeah. 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 You know, interesting. One of the things that I've noticed, so I moved here from, I was in Tampa, Florida before this and, you know, Tampa has a a pretty big like health and and fitness scene there as well. And one of the big differences I noticed was it seemed like out in Tampa, people were more into the health and wellness space for the aesthetics. And (laughs) here it seems like, yeah, of course. Right. You got, you know, I got to look good when you go to the beach. Um, but here it seems like it's, it's more about like taking care of your health. Like there's, there's people here who are focused on all aspects of it. It's like, you know, mental health and, you know, actually improving like your overall health and wellness and not just, you know, making sure that you look good with your shirt off type of thing. So it's kind of been interesting to see that since I've gotten out here. Um, and and it's pretty cool too. I mean, you know, just this morning I went to a, a place called ocean lab that just opened up here in Austin. That is a, they have like the sensory deprivation tanks, uh, cold plunges, infrared saunas, all of that. So I started my day with that. And and tonight we have, uh, we're doing a breath workshop at the, uh, at the office here, the perfect keto headquarters. We have somebody coming in to teach us that stuff. So I'm getting to experience a lot of things about health and wellness that are so much different than what I got to experience in other places. So I think that's a a huge testament to how cool Austin is. (laughs) Well, it also seems really cool over there at your your shop. So I want to tell me about this perfect keto culture because I know um, you know several people there, and of course connecting with uh, Dr. Anthony, uh, we did mm-hmm. a show previously. Uh, but it seems like this uh, new sort of e- evolved workplace concept where you're you're kind of getting this all in type of employee where you're all living the dream. You're not just kind of random people that are good at uh, IT, but you're all in this, this keto lifestyle. And so it's more of a, a family environment, uh, than you might think in the, uh, the traditional workplace environment of the old days where people bailed at five o'clock and then went about their different hobbies or wherever yeah. they're headed. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. I think, um, it seems like everybody that's here at the headquarters and, and even, you know, we have a remote culture too. So we have people all over the the U S working and, um, it seems like everybody's hobby is what they do for this company, which is pretty cool. You know, everybody is, they have that all in mindset and, you know, it's a huge testament to our founders, um, both Dr. Anthony Gustin and, uh, Justin Maris, who's the, the other co-founder of perfect keto. They've, they've set up just an incredible culture here that makes people buy into this all in mindset. Um, they have this really unique thing where, uh, we have, you know, different benefit employee benefits that are super unique, like, um, you know, being able to go and shop at farmer's markets. We have like a, a a stipend every month that goes towards buying fresh local foods. Uh, we have like a health and wellness stipend that goes towards, um, you know, being able to go get, you know, massages and and gym memberships and cold plunges and personal training and any of those things that you want to do, which is really cool because they, they focus, they want us to take care of ourselves 
um, so that we can help take care of other people. And, and it's really cool because I think that has, has been one of the reasons that people are so bought in is because you can tell that um, you know, the people who are running this company care about us. They don't just care about the bottom line and, um, you know, trying to make money, trying to make money and things like that. So it's, it's been pretty cool so far. And I've been with them for about a year now. And when I first started and I first heard about the culture and everything, I was like, you know, sounds a little bit too good to be true. Uh, didn't really think that it was possible for a company that, especially a company that's, you know, doing pretty well to, um, have a culture like that. But, uh, since I've gotten out here, I've been nothing but happy with my experience. Well, I'm curious if part of this, um, part of these benefits are coming on the interview side, on the candidate side, so that that means so much to you that you're getting cold plunge bucks that you're mm-hmm. going to be particularly intrigued to interview there. Because I'm thinking of a friend of mine, uh, Mike Delandro, is a big primal enthusiast, and he works for a satellite uh, manufacturer company in New Jersey. And mm-hmm. he was big on wellness, and this is not his core job, but he was trying to build up a wellness program and get a budget for this and budget for that. And he had this deal where you would get $500 cash if you could uh, complete the join the 100-mile club and walk mm. or jog 100 miles in a year or six months or something like that. For wow. $500 cash for anyone in the company to take advantage of. And he said the, the, um, the success rate was so crappy. Like they paid out <laughs> hardly anybody the money, even though wow. you could, you could essentially bullshit if you really wanted to and say, yeah, I walked around three miles today. Let me write that down on this spreadsheet and then turn your spreadsheet in. He says, people didn't even care enough to go for a $500 incentive to walk where they probably walked 50 miles anyway, if they, you know, bothered to take their dog around the block. And, and, you know, it was so sad to hear like, here's this place where, you know, someone's really driving for you and he was bringing in healthy food at lunch and doing these events and helping people learn. But I guess, you know, there everything's humming along at, you know, level 12 at Perfect Keto, but also, you know, getting your butt hired there probably took, um, you know, you probably had to go through some interview process where they're like, so Chris, (laughs) do you have any health and fitness hobbies? How about farmer's market shopping? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It is, it is something they've done a really good job of vetting and making sure that we have people that appreciate those things. Because, you know, ultimately if, if you're not somebody who even cares to take care of your health, like some of these other companies that you're mentioning, then you're not going to care if you have those benefits or not. And that's not going to really push you to doing a better job uh, in your day to day. Cause you're probably not going to take advantage of having those benefits. So, um, yeah, they've, they've done a really good job of vetting it and, you know, I, I haven't talked to anybody in this company who doesn't appreciate being able to do those things on a, on a weekly basis. And, um, and it's cool to see how much it kind of lifts everybody up too. I mean, you know, we don't have this stressful work environment where people are walking around and they're anxious and stressed and, uh, you know, and people are putting in incredible hours too. I mean, you know, tonight we'll be, we'll be here until there'll be people here until seven, eight o'clock at night come in on Saturday, there'll be people here, but we don't have work hours. You know, we don't, they don't set anything. You can work from home if you want to, you can never come into the office if you, if you want to. Um, but still people are here putting in a ton of hours. So I think that's just a huge testament to finding the right people. Wow. And I mean, I, I hate to, um, stick on this point cause I know we're supposed to be talking keto, but, um, <laughs> I think it's of interest to so many people that work in a corporate environment uh, mm-hmm. you know, just to figure out how to, how to get this magic, uh, vibe going. And, mm-hmm. um, so, so there's, you know, there's this, um, less accountability than, uh, than the, the normal workplace. Um, but, mm-hmm. it, but it's, it still works. And yeah. I guess, do you feel like, um, personally, you know, that lack of, uh, of babysitting and oversight, do you feel like you're more motivated and empowered to like, you know, take risks and, and express your true personality and be the best you can be kind of, kind of mode. Totally. Yeah. I mean, before I was working here, I was working for another company that had a, a similar, um, they, they had a similar concept of like not having work hours and stuff. And, um, but they, there was always this kind of underlying pressure to be in the office that made you feel like you had to be there. So nobody ever got to really enjoy what it felt like to not feel like you're kind of in a cage, uh, and told you have to, you know, it's almost like prison saying you have to be here from this time to this time, no matter what. And, um, so, you know, and then that company ended up trying to instill work hours and kind of trying to instill a nine to five. And I remember at the time I was like, you know, I'm coming in here at like seven in the morning and working and I'm staying until seven and eight o'clock at night. And then you put nine to five on and I'm like, that's it. Then I work nine to five, you know, and it's like, I actually wanted to work less soon as I felt like, cause I felt like I was being put in a cage, you know, whereas like here, 
And, and the other problem too is like, and not to, you know, to say anything disrespectful to anybody who's working a nine to five, that that is kind of the standard in the way that people, most companies are operating. But the problem with that is that there's so many employees that are just stealing time when you have that type of atmosphere, right? It's like, oh, well, I have to be here from nine to five. Well, I'm going to spend at least three hours on Facebook and Google and, and reading a blog or, you know, watch, listen to a podcast like this. Some people listening to this might be stealing work hours right now. So that's okay, um, people. You're going to get healthier by the end of this. <laughs> that's true. Man, yeah, maybe you'll learn something too. Um, so yeah. And, and like here, you just don't see that. I mean, the people here, like when I come in, uh, I'm just like focused and ready to get after it. And if I do hit a period, you know, I come in one day and I'm like, you know what, I'm just, I don't have that workflow that I normally have. I might pack up, go to the gym, uh, go grab some lunch, kind of take care of myself, get back in a good state and then come back in and get after it later in the day or, or the next day or something like that. So I've noticed a tremendous increase in my productivity and just my work output too. I feel like the quality of it is is so much better than it has been in the past. People, you get that? So go tell your boss that, that Chris Irvin of Perfect Keto said, if you're not feeling it at some middle of the day, 1115, <laughs> just take off and go to the gym. Um, you know, maybe uh, 30 years from now, we won't uh, be silly about this and this will be the norm, but it's, mm-hmm. oh my goodness. I mean, uh, um, yeah, you're, you're speaking to... Um, uh, a, a solo flying entrepreneur here. So I can totally relate. Like you gotta, you gotta go with the flow. And when we try to, you know, constrain people, that's like old factory mentality. Okay, man, let's, totally. let's switch over to, uh, this incredible project that you and Anthony have been working on. Uh, tell me about the new book. Yeah. So the, uh, the keto answers book came out earlier this week and um, so this project is something that Dr. Gustin started working on about two and a half years ago. And then he brought me in last year, um, just about a year to date from when it came out. He brought me on to kind of work, to take it the rest of the way and work with him on getting the book finished. And so the book is 268 questions and answers about the ketogenic diet. And um, the way we kind of the reason why we made this was between my Instagram and um, Dr. Gustin's Instagram and the Perfect Keto Instagram, we get so many questions and a lot of them are just the same questions over and over that people have. So our thought was, well, we want to make a good resource for these people because one of the big problems is, is that everybody has these questions and you know the tagline for the for the book is simplifying the world's most confusing diet. And some people are like, well, what's so confusing about keto? And it's like, well, have you talked to anybody that started? They have a ton of questions about it. And, uh, you know, you, you go Google your question and you, whatever the first hits are, are not necessarily the hits that, uh, are the most credible. They're usually the ones who have the best SEO strategies, right? So it's like, um, that's kind of a big problem. And then even if you do find a, a source, you have to decide if it's credible. And then if it is credible, then you have to go somewhere else to find your next answer, you know, to the the next question you have. So we wanted to put everything in one place for people. So what we did was, is we actually sat down with people who were at different stages of their keto journey. So, you know, somebody who's a beginner, somebody who's been following it for a few months, and then somebody who we'd consider to be like a more advanced ketogenic dieter. And we kind of asked them, like, we had them ask us what questions they have. And then we answered them for them. And then we said, we, we see like, what question do you have now? So if you get this question answered, what's next? So an example of that is, is, you know, somebody asks the question, do I have to have carbohydrates? So we give an answer to that. And then the next question is, is something like, well, are carbohydrates bad? And then from there it might be, well, what about fruit? You know? So uh, this is kind of the, uh, a book is set up in a, in a natural progression that somebody may have from the time they're a beginner to the time that they're an advanced keto dieter. So, you know, the way that the book is put together is that you can read it from front to back, but you can also use it as an encyclopedia where you can just look up your question in the back of the book and then flip to, you know, the page that it's on and get a short answer, which will be, if you don't care about the why, there'll be a short answer to kind of give you what you're looking for. And then there'll be a long answer that gives you the why. So uh, we're pretty excited about it and we think it's going to be a, a good resource. And, and so far we're getting some pretty good feedback from people. Oh, I kind of like that short answer thing. Like, Hey, yeah. just trust me. Don't eat that crap. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Next question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Some people don't care to know the why not to eat that crap. Some people just want to know whether or not they can eat it. And that's fine too. You know, I, I am a firm believer that the why gives more power to whatever you're teaching somebody. So I do, you know, that's the whole reason why we do education here at Perfect Keto is because we think it gives more power to um, the diet and the lifestyle and everything. But, you know, meet people where they're at. If people don't care to learn, that's okay too. We just want you to be healthy. 
so you you do uh, assorted other uh, education efforts too as well. You're trying to really create this lifestyle element. Can you tell me about some of the other things? Yeah. So I serve as the education manager here at Perfect Keto. So what that looks like is um, my first role when I came on besides working on the book was developing kind of an internal education database for our employees so that as we continue to grow as a company, you know, we may get people who are you know, really good in their different fields, but maybe they're a little bit newer to ketogenic dieting or, um, and, and maybe they don't know, you know, as much as somebody like Dr. Gustin knows. So I put together this database to teach them about the diet, but then also teach them about the products. So like, you know, what does the science say about this product? What doesn't it say about this product to help with our marketing efforts to make sure that we're always messaging things very well to our customers. Um, and then from there, now I'm kind of shifting towards uh, more external-based education. So I'm, I'm helping more with like the blog posts that we're putting out and the social media stuff and the podcasting and everything like that um, to just try to make these resources more available to people. And, and that's kind of been my MO since you know, I was in grad school. Um, when, I was, when I was in grad school at uh, University of Tampa, I was studying keto for... I did keto for sports performance for a little while, and then I did keto for... Uh, like some different therapeutic causes. And once I graduated from uh, grad school, I was just like, I really want to make this information that's in these journals locked away more accessible to people so that they can understand it and implement it. And that's kind of where like my ketologist brand came from, where I just wanted to, you know, make very simple infographics that could maybe explain some complex topics to people so that they could be learning and, you know, empowering themselves to take control of their health. Why is Tampa such the the, the epicenter for keto. I mean, really, t- tell me all the things that come out of there because it's, it's crazy that um, uh, Dr. Jacob Wilson's uh, clinic is there. D'Agostino's working out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that, is that, would you uh, trace the, um, the origin of the, the popular diet? I mean, we know ketogenic diet's been around for 100 years, but like, did it really kind of uh, emanate from there and spread? Yeah, definitely. I think that Dr. D'Agostino is, you know, I kind of call him like the godfather of the keto stuff because he's really the guy who started getting asked to be on the big podcast that really started getting the word out there. I mean, he, he was on Joe Rogan. I think he was on Tim Ferriss and, and pretty early on too. And, uh, and those guys were actually my first introduction to keto. So right before I started going to grad school down there, I went to a conference down in Tampa where Dr. Volick and Dr. D'Agostino were speaking at. And, you know, I didn't really know anything about keto at the time. And, uh, and they were presenting about it. And that was, that was my first introduction into it. And then I got down there in grad school and the lab that I was working out of at UT was doing some research with it, uh, with more, more along the lines of like sports performance and then, um, you know, Angela Poff, Dr. Poff, who is uh, one of the doctors in Dr. D'Augustino's lab, she was actually a guest professor at University of Tampa. And she was doing a, a whole course on like energy metabolism and talking a lot about, you know, the different, the metabolic side of a lot of diseases like cancer and stuff. And, uh, and, and I think that just like, that opened up my eyes in a really big way. And I think it opened up a lot of other people's eyes too. You know, now Dr. D'Augustino was going around and speaking on podcasts and talking about all this incredible research that was coming out of their lab. And I think that really led to, um, you know, no, it's, it's a household name now. Like everybody knows who he is. If you're in the keto space, you know who Dr. Dom is, right? So uh, I definitely think you can trace back a lot of the origin of like keto blowing up to him and what he's done. So as you've seen this uh, diet explode, in the last couple of years, I'm going to say that it was, um, 2017 where it started to really emerge from mm-hmm. kind of a fringe to, uh, you know, the books are coming out, the videos, the, the branding, the products. Um, what does that explosion looked like? Has there been any sort of, um, uh, fallout or negative effects of it, of it becoming overhyped or, you know, over sensationalized? And uh, yeah. what, what good things have we seen as we come, become more sophisticated with our understanding? Yeah, so true. So a lot of good and bad things that have come <laughs> from this. Um, I think the good thing about it is that the conversation is being had. So people are talking about keto, which I think is great. Um, but the problem with that is, is that because it's such a buzzword and it's blowing up, there's a lot of people that are trying to take advantage of that. And I, I actually, you know, back, so I started researching it in 2015. So it was just a little bit before the industry really started to blow up. And 
I always thought that industry was going to be so important to this movement because it was going to be, you know, that's where the money was going to come from. Right. And like, you know, nothing really takes off if there's not some sort of financial backing to it. And I felt like industry was going to be really important. So I'm not somebody to say that, you know, the industry has been bad for keto, but that, you know, there's been some companies that have done a really good job of putting out high quality products that make this diet easier for people and more accessible. But there's also been a lot of people who have put out a lot of crap that are trying to take advantage of people that are, you know, searching for keto and they just want to get the first thing that has the word keto on it. So, um, that's kind of been the bad thing about it. Uh, and I think the other thing too, is that because this diet has become so, you know, the most, the biggest success story you'll hear is somebody losing a hundred pounds on keto. And I think that's fantastic. I, I do believe that this is the best diet out there for weight loss. I don't think that there's anything, you know, there's other diets that may give similar results, but when you talk about the other health benefits that come with it, I think it's by far the best. Um, but the problem is, is then people start writing it off as only being a weight loss diet and people forget about all the other things. I mean, when I first heard about keto, I wrote it off because I was like, oh, it sounds great, but I'm not looking to lose weight. So it's not really for me. Um, but you know, really there's, there's so much other potential that I think gets, uh, brushed aside because of everybody just talking about quick weight loss. And, you know, everybody's looking for that simple fix to lose 20, 30 pounds in, in a couple months. So, you know, there's good and bad, but at the end of the day, you know, even if people, don't know all of the benefits that are coming with keto. Um, they're at least changing the way that they're eating. And I think that over the last three years, I've noticed so many more people realizing that processed carbohydrates are bad. Uh, we shouldn't be overeating carbs, even carbs that have traditionally been considered uh, healthy carbs. You know, we shouldn't be having too much of those and having too much of those for a long period of time can be harmful to our health. So it seems like we're starting to wise up to these things and it's leading us to slowly shift our baseline understanding of nutrition, which I hope continues to happen. Uh, and I hope that, you know, the fad side of keto, because I, I don't believe that keto is a fad in any way. I mean, we know it's been around for a hundred years and uh, there's so much potential to it, but there's going to be a fad side to keto, which is going to be, you know, the industry and, and the quick weight loss stuff like that. But, um, so hopefully as that stuff starts to die down, the rest of the diet doesn't also lose its popularity. Yeah, that'd be funny. I mean, it's been around for uh, millions of years, right? And it was like yeah, true. Rob Wolf said that that was most likely our ancestors' default metabolic state because food was mm -hmm. uh, uncertain. So we had long periods yeah. of time where we didn't eat, and that's pretty mm -hmm. um, that's pretty heavy to reflect on if you if you wonder if keto is going to be around or not for <laughs> another three years or whatever. Then it's going to go away. It'll fade away. Yeah. Um, but tell me, in, in, in the big picture, I mean, you're, you're representing um, a, a ketone supplement company. So, mm -hmm. you know, tell me where the supplement products fit into uh, someone's effort to uh, follow a ketogenic diet. Because I, I know there's been some criticism of supplements in, in the general mm -hmm. sense where if you're taking a supplement, all of a sudden you're, you're arresting your internal ketone production because you're burning the ketones that you just consume. But obviously there's great uh, comeback answers to that. But I want to know yeah. like the best uses and practices of a supplement in general and then maybe some of the things that were misunderstanding, like, does this stuff make me burn fat? Yes, consume it. You know, that, that, that's kind of where we've got distorted. So I'm, I'm teeing totally. you up, man. Here goes Chris. We'll listen yeah. listen in, in wonder. Yeah, so this is, this is definitely the, one of the most controversial topics. And, you know, I will preface this with saying that I was doing research with exogenous ketones in grad school back in 2015 before uh, there were products coming to the market yet. So oh, they taste I've been a terrible big fan. Then, right? Oh man, we had, we were using like 10 gallon drums of raw salts with like Mio in it, trying to make them taste good. It was horrible. <laughs> we were really struggling through it, but, um, I've been a big proponent of these things for a long time. And, and what happened for a lot of people out there who have heard bad things about exogenous ketones, what my under, you know, what I've seen over the last few years is that the first companies that came to, and I'm not going to, you know, name drop any of them, but the first companies that came out to the market with exogenous ketones were marketing the uh, they were marketing them in the wrong way. They were marketing them as a replacement to the ketogenic diet. They were marketing them as a, a way to get the benefits of ketosis without having to uh, restrict your carbohydrates. And, uh, you know, you could get weight loss just from drinking these exogenous ketones. And people started to wise up to that and they realized that that wasn't true. But what happened is, is that led people to go to overcorrect in the other direction and say, well, there's no use for these things at all. 
And I think that was a big mistake because I do think that there is a lot of use for them. So, you know, to start with it, I'll say that you do not have to take exogenous ketones on a ketogenic diet. You can follow a keto diet just fine without it. Um, I've done, you know, I did keto for a long time without using exogenous ketones. I know many people that don't use them and they have great success, but that doesn't mean that there's not benefits from using them. And the way that I like to look at it is, is, you know, we know that the difference between our brain metabolizing glucose and ketones is that, uh, Glucose is only taken into the brain based on the energy demands of the brain, whereas ketones are pushed into the brain based on their availability in the blood. So this is something that is, uh, it's really, and this is something that's brilliantly laid out by Dr. Stephen Kunain, uh, who does a lot of research with like neurodegenerative diseases. And he, he kind of talks about it where it's like, you know, if you wanted to increase energy to your brain, you couldn't eat ice cream and increase energy to your brain because your brain's only going to take in the glucose based on what it needs. But ketones, if you can increase your ketones in the blood, you actually can increase the energy available to your brain because uh, they're the fact that they are pushed based on what is available. So um, that's so when you when you have that understanding, you can see that you don't need to have higher ketone levels, but there is instances where that could be beneficial. So you know, one big one might be when you're first starting a ketogenic diet. And you maybe you're a little bit slow to producing and utilizing the ketones. Uh, there's some research out there showing that get, having elevated levels of blood ketones can upregulate your transporters that are necessary uh, to take ketones into the cell to be used for energy. So we can see how maybe a beginner could benefit from taking an exogenous source of these ketones. And and just the same, you know, for like when I was writing this Keto Answers book in the morning when I'm I'm doing my deep work, working for three four hours, having elevated blood ketones. Uh, during that time is going to be beneficial for improving my cognitive function. So that's another great time to be taking them. Same thing with exercise. You know, if you, if you don't really have the, uh, the energy to get into the gym or maybe your, your mental state is kind of telling you that I, I'm, I'm a little bit tired and fatigued. I don't want to go work out. I don't want to go for a run, whatever it is that you do. These ketones can kind of give you that boost in energy that's going to help you get through that training session. Um, and then, the, you know, the, I think the fourth really good time to use them is whenever you're trying to avoid caffeine. So, you know, for me, if I'm trying to work late in the evening and I don't want to have coffee after three o'clock because it may mess with my sleep, having the exogenous ketones can be a non-stimulant way to, again, provide more energy to my brain. So those are kind of the, the, the four cases that I think are make the best case for using them. And that's outside of therapeutic application, by the way, too. I think there is some, some really good therapeutic application of these exogenous ketones. Um, but the, the biggest question that somebody has, and you kind of alluded to this early on, is like, well, one, do they help you burn fat? And then, and the answer to that is no, not directly. So I, I should say that, that um, they will not directly cause you to burn fat, but there are some long-term adaptations that can happen to your body, like improving mitochondrial function and you know activation of brown adipose tissue and things like that, that uh, could allow you to have a, a better capacity to burn fat, but they're not directly going to be causing fat burning. Um, so then when people hear that, then the next question is, is, okay, well, are they going to stop my fat burning or stop my natural ketone production? And the answer to that is, is, is that, well, you know, I should say the answer to that is that we don't know because it hasn't been tested, but my take on is that yes, they will, but in the short term. So what I believe is going to happen is, is that if you take the exogenous ketones, um, in the two to three hours that your ketones are going to be elevated after taking them, you're, you're probably not going to need to be producing a lot of ketones endogenously. So I think that you're probably going to be stopping that natural ketone production. But what I've seen through testing myself and other people is that, um, after you have gone, you burn through those ketones, your ketones never go back to zero. They go back to baseline and then they start increasing again naturally. So you're not blunting it for, you know, you're not just completely stopping your body's natural production of these ketones. Uh, and, and the important thing to point out with that is that that, that means that there's, you don't need to be in a fat burning mode all day, right? Like what is your goal? So if you're taking the exogenous ketones, you should be taking them when the goal is to increase the energy available to your brain. And so that could be before presentation, before work, um, before maybe you're going out to dinner with friends and you just want to be a little bit more sharp, um, you know, something like that. That's when, you know, your primary focus should probably be having more energy to your brain and not burning fat, right? So it's just like prioritizing based on what you're trying to achieve um, whenever it is that you're trying to achieve it. So that's kind of the, the long answer on the exogenous ketone stuff. I think they're one of the most misunderstood supplements, but I think there's such a place for them if they're used strategically. That's a very uh, profound insight, and I haven't really heard it expressed uh, 
that directly, where if you uh, put ketones into your bloodstream, whether because you're starving and the liver is making them or because you uh, consume a supplement, you're saying that those are going to be uh, utilized by the brain because they're present in the bloodstream. We know they're not going to be stored as fat like sugar is. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that's... um. That is, if, if you want to find a really good paper on it, there's an energy metabolism paper by Dr. Stephen Kunain, and he has this incredible infographic that he, he shows, and he, he kind of shows the differences between glucose and ketone metabolism. And it's the push-pull uh, thing that he talks about, where it's like the brain will pull glucose in based on the demands of the body or the demands of the brain, which is massive. You know, I saw something the other day that said that, uh, and I don't know, I didn't fact check this, but I thought it was interesting that the brain has a higher energy demand at rest than like your thigh would have during a marathon. Um, and it's just kind of like, and I don't know if that's exactly correct, but it's just a testament to the fact that our brain has such a massive energy demand. And, um, so your brain's going to pull glucose out of the blood based on the demands of your brain, whereas ketones are going to be pushed into the brain based on their availability in the blood. So, um, and, and that's, and this isn't something that has been directly tested with exogenous ketones, but, you know, just looking at it mechanistically, we know that when you take this, these exogenous ketones, you have an increase in your, uh, your blood ketones, which based on this understanding of physiology, that would mean that you're going to be providing more energy to the brain. And I think that we're, we're starting to see some more studies, uh, coming out where they're looking at, like they're trying to trace ketones and, and trace where they go. And, and they're showing some positive things with this, but this is something that we need a lot more research on. I mean, if you, if you go, if you're looking for randomized controlled trials with exogenous ketones in humans, there's not a whole lot out there. So this is something that we need more of. But right now, what we have seen so far, and especially listening to some people that are you know, way smarter than I am, like Dr. D'Agostino, who have done so much research with this, there's definitely a reason to believe that this is a really beneficial supplement. So if you're providing the ketones for your brain, that by definition means that your brain's going to use less glucose. And we know this from dietary adaptation where uh, a non-keto adapted individual is getting 99% of their energy uh, to the brain as glucose from, from the diet. Mm-hmm. And then you can get all the way over apparently to uh, a highly keto adapted individual can be burning two thirds ketones, one third glucose at the highest level. So I guess mm-hmm. if you're consuming that uh, consuming it in supplement form in a, in a therapeutic manner, um, you're, you're taking down the, the glucose burning in your brain. And that, that's what, um, Dom's great work is showing that there's less inflammation, there's better oxygen delivery, uh, protection against the, uh, diseases of cognitive decline that are marked by, mm-hmm. uh, dysfunctional glucose metabolism in the brain. So that, that's what's so interesting to me is like, um, as a protection against cognitive decline, you're saying as a cognitive enhancer, but knowing that you're getting, uh, you know, a, a lower sugar burning rate in the brain by using the supplements, pretty, pretty strong, um, pretty strong plug for consuming these, uh, at those right times, or perhaps even just as uh, a routine, you know, daily pattern, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, it's actually, it's a two factored approach when you look at, um, switching your brains. And, and this goes for keto and being in ketosis in general. There's two sides of, of why it's so beneficial for your brain. The one is that you're not metabolizing a bunch of glucose, which you know we know that a lot of the neurodegenerative diseases come from our brains developing insulin resistance because we are metabolizing too much glucose. And you know we also know that when our cells are metabolizing glucose, there's more reactive oxygen species created, so you're, you have more inflammation. So when you switch to metabolizing ketones, you avoid a lot of these things. But then there's also additional benefits that come with it, like you know ketones can... Uh, you know, they can increase our body's natural antioxidant production. So not only are we producing less inflammation, but we're producing more antioxidants naturally. And, uh, you know, there's some really interesting stuff about, you mentioned, you know, the brain's not metabolizing as, metabolizing as much glucose. Well, that means that this glucose can actually go down separate metabolic pathways where it can be converted into um, like antioxidants like glutathione and things like that that can, you know, further enhance our brain function. So it's not just what the ketones aren't doing compared to glucose. It's also what they are doing compared to glucose that I think is so interesting. Uh, okay, I, I'm going to come up with one of the... Um 268 questions because it <laughs> was a 
an interesting uh, personal experience when I was experimenting with keto, working on the Keto Reset Diet Book with Mark Sisson back in 2017. Mm-hmm. So I'm plunging deep into it. I'm going to eat a ketogenic diet. I'm going to measure my blood levels all the time. And yeah. I experienced on many occasions uh, a low blood ketone level despite a high adherence to the diet, including long periods of fasting, even some intense workouts thrown in there. And then I'd, uh, you know, proudly prick my finger, hoping to set a new record uh, because everybody knows that higher ketones are better, right? And I'd see something <laughs> like uh, 0.4, 0.3, maybe a 0.7, 0.3 again, 0.4. And this is, let's say, coming off of an 18-hour fast with a workout thrown in or the previous meal that I'd had the night before was, let me see, I had a, a, a steak with avocado and you know minimal carbohydrate so you'd expect that mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be blown up and uh for those of us um listening and not watching chris is smiling right now he's ready to <laughs> he's ready to set us all straight yeah so that that's another great one and i will say before i dive into the answer that it d- definitely applies to most people and applies to you there are some people out there who are seeing low ketone levels because they're not following the diet as close as well as they think they are, right? So it could be me, man. It could have been me with my. I'm looking at the dark chocolate wrapper in the in the garbage, <laughs> going, "Oh yeah, I had that too." But anyway, I'm going to stand by saying that I I should have seen um, radically high number. And then also, um, Sisson and I both experienced this. I know I'm interrupting, but I'm setting this up, Anthony. No, you're too. good. Like, um, you know, things kind of uh, leveled down over time, possibly yep. as we got more keto adapted, like Finney and Bullock studies showing that maybe my muscles weren't grabbing uh, all those ketones and fighting over the brain uh, and, and having to produce more because now my muscles were better at fat. And so the, all the ketones were going to the brain. But yeah, let's, let's hear and that's the, exactly uh, right. Yeah. So, so lack of adherence, uh, yeah. lack of adherence could be one, could be one variable. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so that could be one variable. So the first thing to do is always do an honest check with yourself. You know, if your if your ketone levels are low, and here's what I would say too: if your ketone levels are low and you're not experiencing the benefits of ketosis, right? So if you are if you have low ketone levels and you still have kind of that brain fog and you still have uh, you know fatigue and you know you're not sleeping very well and uh, you know just lack of energy and stuff then you probably need to take a look and make sure you're closely adhering to the diet. But if you are feeling pretty good and you have low ketone levels, what's going on here is that you you kind of alluded to it right there is that your body is getting much better at taking up these ketones and utilizing them. So we know that when when you first start keto, if I had never start done keto a day in my life and I started I did a 16-hour fast and I started eating it today, I would probably start seeing pretty high ketone levels within you know, for some people, 12, 14, 16, maybe 24 hours, you're going to start seeing elevated ketones, but you don't feel the benefits of those ketones yet for a while for some people. And the reason why is because we have to upregulate these transporters. They're known as uh, MCT transporters that have to be uh, upregulated so that we can actually take the ketones out of our cell or out of our blood and into our cells and use them for energy. So this is something that happens over time. It's not something that happens when you first start a ketogenic diet, especially if you're somebody who, you know, you've been eating a high carb diet for a long time. You haven't had ketones present in your blood very often. So these MCT transporters have to be woken up because they've never had to really work for you ever since you were a baby, probably. So, um, that's what's starting to happen. So like you said, we start to see this trending down of ketone levels where, you know, hey, I started, I was like 1.1, 1.3, 1.5. And now I'm eating, you know, almost a no carb diet, but I'm at like 0.4, 0.5. What's going on? Well, it's because when we test our, our blood and we do a finger prick, you're only able to test what's available in the blood, but that doesn't tell you what your cells are actually uptaking. And that's that's kind of the the big thing to understand there is that your cells are better using what you're producing, which means there's going to be less circulating in the blood because your body does not, it's not going to be producing excess ketones and you're actually going to be taking them into the cells where you're not going to be able to read them in a blood blood prick uh, when they're actually being utilized for energy. So that's why you're going to start seeing those lower ketone levels. And, you know, and I used to, when I was in grad school, I used to coach people and, and help them get started on keto and everything. And uh, I would have a lot of people who would get really panicked about this and they would really freak out. They're like, my ketone levels are low. What's going on? And my question to them was always, how do you feel? And they would be like, well, I feel great. My, my energy is great. I've never been sharper. Uh, you know, I feel like I, my memory is great and my cognitive function is so good and all these things. And I'm like, 
yeah, that's ketosis. If, if you weren't in ketosis and producing ketones, you wouldn't be feeling like that because you know we know that your brain can only really use glucose and ketones for fuel. If you're not eating glucose and you're not in ketosis, you're going to know it because your brain is not going to have an adequate amount of energy. So that's always a thing I tell people. You know, I think ketone testing is good, but a better indicator of if you're in ketosis is going to be how you feel um, and kind of being more intuitive because you're going to, you're definitely going to be able to tell. I mean, anybody who's been in ketosis and then had a big cheat meal and kicked themselves out and they've kind of felt some of the side effects of that, that's what it's kind of like to not be in ketosis and not have a lot of fuel going to the brain. So um, you're going to know if you're not in there. So, you know, that's going to be a better indicator than just trying to test your blood. Uh, so if I'm pricking my finger, and getting that live drop of blood, uh, but I'm uh, let's say I'm highly keto adapted. I'm sending my brain uh, two thirds of its energy from ketones. Is that you're saying not going to be represented in a blood prick, or or you know I mean they're going from the liver to the brain, right? So mm-hmm. how do I get a representative sample? Is it impossible or something? Well, um, right now, I don't think that there's a really good way for the general population to be able to do that in real time. I mean, um, whenever you test your your blood ketones, all you're going to be able to see is what is in the blood from the time that it has left the liver and from the time or, you know, in, the in between time of leaving the liver and um, actually being uptaken into the cells. So that's really the only time that you can test. So if you want to get a good reading, what I would tell people is, is I think if you establish a good baseline, so what I think to do to establish a good baseline is, is test your ketones in the morning, a couple hours after waking up so you don't have that dawn effect that may throw off your numbers. Uh, try to avoid caffeine before you test, avoid food, exercise, stress, get a baseline measure, and then use that baseline measure to test other times if you want, you know, to test different foods, to test maybe your, your ketone levels, how they change over time. That's going to be a better way to establish like what your optimal ketone range is and what your, um, your kind of baseline ketone levels are compared to just trying to, you know, test your blood and then go look up some blog post online that says, well, you must be between 0.5 and 1.5 to be in ketosis. Um, that's going to lead to a lot more stress and it's just not accurate. You know, unfortunately it's not that easy. I wish it was, I wish that we could just you know, prick our, and this isn't to say that I don't think that blood testing is valuable. I do think it's valuable and I do it. Uh, I do it when I'm self-experimenting and, and stuff like that. It's a great way to test your adherence and whatnot, but it's just that our understanding of these levels is not as good as what people claim that they are. Uh, so if I can report a uh, good cognitive function, good workout performance, uh, low carb diet, let's say a keto aligned diet, uh, but maybe a modest blood level, uh, you're going to give me thumbs up that I'm benefiting from ketosis. I would. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and of course there's good, there's going to be some outliers to that too. There might be some people, you know, there's a, the body is resilient. So there might be some people that are just not fueling themselves and providing energy and they may kind of feel okay for a while with that. But I think for most people, um, if you're experiencing those things, then you should get the thumbs up that you're doing well. Okay. So my other concern here is, um, we also have the gluconeogenesis, the fight or flight response that'll supply the glucose we need under periods of heavy stress, or if we're Mm -hmm. not keto adapted and we suddenly slash the carbs out of our diet. So now do we need to pair like a fasting glucose reading with fasting ketones, uh, hoping that the glucose is low and the ketones are are moderate or good? Because that also has confused me because I've pulled some high glucose numbers and low ketone numbers, being in a fasted state, being a pretty fat adapted guy, I think, and going, mm-hmm. oh crap, am, am I, um, you know, let's say overstressing myself, overdoing it by throwing in fasted workouts and seeing glucose at 110 and ketones at 0.4? Yeah. So that, that is a really good point. And uh, the one thing that I would ask is, is when you were testing, I think is a big one. So um, if you're, if you're testing what I see a lot of people do is that they will test immediately after waking up. And this is going to, like most people are going to see a higher blood glucose reading when they first wake up and a lower blood ketone reading because of that. Because there does tend to be an inverse relationship between our glucose and our ketones. And you know, we know that in the morning as a part of your natural circadian rhythms, you're going to have a cortisol spike, which can increase 
um, glucose production. So you're going to have a little bit higher of a, of a blood glucose level, and that's going to inherently lead to a little bit lower ketone level. So if you're testing within the first hour of waking up, that could be just, you might just be getting a kind of a false reading that you have high glucose and low ketones. So that's kind of why I do suggest that people test a couple hours after waking up. The problem with that is, is that I also think that you shouldn't have caffeine. So asking somebody to wait a couple hours after waking up and not drink a cup of coffee and then test, that's kind of asking a lot. Um, but so that is one thing that I would say is that, you know, when you test is, is definitely very important. Um, but there, there could be a lot of things that are causing that. I mean, if you have really high stress levels, which could come from, you know, really heavy exercise intensity and, and your body not properly recovering, or maybe your sleep cycle is, is really off that can mess with your numbers. It's, it's such a dynamic reading, right? There's so many things that factor into it. Um, but I think that, you know, for most people testing at that controlled time is, is really important to see, you know, let's fi find out if it's actually a problem before we start assuming it's a problem. And then if from there you see that it is a problem, then you may need to, to look at your diet and see, well, what is, am I missing something? Am I wrong somewhere? Am I putting too much stress on my body? You know, what's going on? Oh, wow. Geez, you should have told me this like a couple of years ago, man, I wasted all these <laughs> expensive strips Usually testing first thing in the morning, yeah, because I thought that yep. would be the cleanest time not having any food or exercise under my belt. So I'm going to go out there and uh, oh, I, I think uh, Dr. D'Agostino said the, the, the highest reading you might get, uh, aside from taking a supplement, would be like an hour after a workout because you have that um, kind of a rebound effect where your body thinks you might still be working out or something. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I've seen that myself. I play a lot of basketball and uh, like three days a week, I'll oh, play yeah, basketball. Oh, yeah, you get knocked for... around too, don't you? Because we were supposed to do <laughs> yeah. this podcast last week, people, but Chris had his bell rung. Oh, so tell me um, to jump in on that. Yeah. Um, we yeah. know that um, one of the best treatments known for concussions is uh, taking extra ketones and getting the brain in the ketogenic state to lower the inflammation. Did you hit that hard after getting, getting your bell rung last week? I did, yeah. So I didn't. So this was my. I've unfortunately had, uh, I think this was my fourth known concussion that I've had and they were all basketball induced. Uh, I play, I played basketball in high school and in college and, um, I've, you know, I've taken a couple of shots and last year was the first time that I got one with having a really good understanding of keto and reading the research that has come out with, with keto and, uh, TBI. And, um, so I, kind of put together like a little bit of a personal protocol last year for recovering from these things. And I was able to implement that again this time. And, um, this was actually some of the worst symptoms that I've had from a concussion this, this previous time. It took me, uh, four days before I really even felt anywhere close to being back to normal. Um, but you know, my biggest thing, whenever I get something like that is, is I, I stopped eating for three days, just, uh, not, not three, it was about two and a half days. Um, where I was, you know, the only thing I was consuming was exogenous ketones and MCTs, um, because I was just trying to get in as deep a state of ketosis as possible. Uh, just really trying to increase. And and for people who aren't familiar with this, this is I'll kind of give a brief explanation. And I will say I'm not an expert in the you know the TBI and keto area, but I have read some research on it. And what happens when we have a concussion is that we our our brain energy metabolism shifts a little bit. And, uh, we have a massive energy demand and what happens for a lot of people is, is, uh, and this is why it's so scary when you watch like the NFL and you see somebody, they, they get their bell rung and then they go on the sideline and they drink Gatorade, um, is that, you know, your brain takes up a ton of glucose after a concussion and this kind of promotes this inflammation or this, uh, insulin resistance in the brain, which will drive up inflammation and, you know, it can restrict blood flow to the brain and all these things that are very important for recovery. Uh, but what happens also is that in the post-concussive window, there's an upregulation of those MCT transporters that we were talking about. So the brain is actually wanting uh, ketones at this time. And the reason is, is because it wants to avoid this insulin resistance, but also the antioxidant, uh, the antioxidant production that can come from the brain metabolizing ketones. So it's a kind of a double, double-edged sword there. Uh, for using ketones. So this is why, you know, ketones, exogenous ketones and getting into a deep state of ketosis is, is so beneficial for concussions. Um, so yeah, when I got my concussion, I, I made a really big mistake. Uh, and this is kind of why my symptoms were worse is, is I, I, I took the shot and I, I didn't think there was anything too wrong. So I played basketball for about another two hours after that. And then I still didn't really feel anything. So I, uh, when I got home, I went and met a friend for coffee and I drank some coffee and you forgot um, the name. 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's as, as soon as I drank the coffee, that's when all of the symptoms started coming on. I started feeling, wow. uh, I got, well, and, and the reason for that is, is that apparently, and I didn't know this until this time that, um, you're having your adenosine receptors, uh, available in the post concussive window is very important for recovery, but we know that caffeine binds to your adenosine receptors and it actually will render them inactive through what's called competitive inhibition. Um, so I, you know, I drank an espresso, I had like an Americano. So I, I have this espresso shot just completely shutting down those adenosine receptors. And, um, soon as I had it, all of the symptoms came on. I got a migraine. I started feeling really irritable. Um, I, I started not being able to focus and, uh, start feeling a little bit nauseous. And, and soon as that happened, I realized I was like, yep, that's it. I had, I got a concussion. And then for the next three days, I just, I couldn't focus I uh, couldn't look at my computer for very long. Uh, and it was, you know, three days before the book's supposed to come out. So I got all this work to do and that's, that's not helping. I'm getting stressed out. Uh, so what I did was, is I just, like I said, I did eat for two and a half days. Um, I used, uh, some CBD. I used, um, exogenous ketones, MCTs, uh, blue light blockers to try to avoid the, the light. Um, and I tried to, I actually, went outside this time and tried to get more fresh air, which before in the past, I've always kind of stayed in a dark room. But one of the things that I've noticed with concussions is that you get a little bit of depression after you have them. And, you know, staying in a dark room and isolating yourself is not going to be helpful for that. So this time I tried to get out more and, and still be around people and, and get outside. And that seemed to help a lot too. So uh, it took about four days for me to start feeling back like myself, but then, you know, Saturday rolled around and I felt like, um, everything was back to normal. So I think the ketones definitely helped a lot. That's a quick recovery, really. I mean, you can go yeah. for at least a week, maybe two feeling like heck if you don't take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, so how do you keep getting concussions playing hoops, man? Are you like the down, down under the basket or are you going for steals or what? Yeah. Well, this one was, uh, somebody I was playing defense and the guy that I was playing, he made a good move on me and I kind of got out of position and he jumped up and he came down and he just elbowed me right in the temple. So it was like really right in the, just the perfect spot. And you know, I, you get hit in the head all the time when you're playing a sport like that. Uh, and, but that time, as soon as it hit me, it just hit this spot that I knew I was like, man, that, that did not feel good. And it kind of shook me up a little bit. Uh, and you know, to be honest with you, I don't remember how I got the previous one. Unfortunately, uh, I, I can't remember what happened. It was something similar to that where I just took like a stray elbow. Uh, I know the ones that I've had before that were elbows to like one time I, I got an elbow to the nose, like right to the, this part and here and like broke my nose and had a concussion. And, um, but the, the time previous to this, I can't even remember what happened, unfortunately, which is not a good sign, but, uh, but I do remember everything from, from this time. And I, there's no part that I've forgotten even from that in between when I, when I left the gym and when I started feeling the symptoms, I, I have all recollection of that, which is a really good sign. Oh, mercy. Okay. Be, be careful out there. I know these, uh, I had to retire from adult league basketball because oh, yeah? I, I have my other ambitions that are, that are higher, like in speed golf and, and things like that. But you know, the level of competitiveness uh, in these, in these random, you know, games where people just lose their grip on reality. And I, I don't even know if you, you probably experienced something, uh, not as offensive because you're playing with good players. I mean, you're at a high level and you're a former college player, but I'm playing like in the F1 league where the leagues go A, B, C, D, <laughs> E1, E2, and F1. And these guys are getting in my face. I remember a big guy, he, he was probably, you know, I'm five, five, ten and a half, one sixty-five, and some guy who was probably six two, two thirty, uh kept knocking me around and you know, we're, we're trying to play basketball and he kept elbowing me in the back and just doing his thing. And so finally I said, you know, I gotta like I'm gonna box this guy out and try a little harder so I don't get tossed around. I'm I'm you know, yeah. and, and so I, I got I stepped right on his foot and he fell flat on his back onto the ground and he jumped up and he got like six inches from my face and he says I'm going to kick your effing ass, man. And I'm like, wow. no, you're not. Cause I'm 50 <laughs> years old and you're probably 30 and you outweigh <laughs> me by 40 pounds. So you're not going to kick my ass. Do you understand? You're not going to. Okay. Yeah. I'm just trying to play and guess what? I'm not that good. So I'm sorry. I knocked you down. And he was, you know, he calmed down immediately with my alternative strategy to getting back into his face with my, my gray hair and my physique, you know, <laughs> but it's like, 
when you get out there on the court, man, all, all the bets are off. And I mean, that's, that's totally. part of the joy of being really competitive. But if, if anyone's listening is in playing in pickup or adult league basketball game, go easy on Chris. He's, he's trying to do a good job and, and concentrate at his job <laughs> and, you know, let him score if he makes a good move. That's the, you know, that's, that's the big one. Don't jump up in the air on some guy who just stole the ball from you and is going for the layup. Anyway, oh, back yeah. to our show. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I want to ask you about the, um, the distinguishing between a, a crappy supplement and a quality one. And of course, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to get a pitch for perfect keto here and I, I I'll pitch, I'll pitch you guys, which is even more uh, uh, authentic than the guy working there. But um, the cleanliness of the ingredients, obviously, when you look at it on the label and you're not seeing the artificial sweeteners and the chemical processing agents and things like that. So that's pretty obvious. But maybe you can just expand on finding a quality product and using it appropriately. Mm-hmm. You already talked yeah, about so- before your cognitive times at work or a social event, but a little more on that of picking, picking the right use. Yeah, definitely. So, and I will say just, you know, obviously, like you said, I do work for Perfect Keto. So people are expecting me to say good things about them. But I will say that I was actually a Perfect Keto product user for like a year and a half before I actually started working here. So I I have been a pretty firm believer in the products that Dr. Gustin has been putting out. And, uh, and, you know, to also plug him again, I have never seen uh, somebody who cares more about quality than he does. I mean, for him, it is, it truly is not about the bottom line. It's not about making money. He really cares. Like he's the kind of guy where he just came back from a trip and he was, uh, he was at the airport and he was just looking at like the food products that people have available at the airport. And he'd come back and he's just fired up. He's like, I'm so sick of people not having access to quality things. I just want to solve these problems. And that that's really how he operates is he, he sees a problem that people have in the food space and he wants to solve it somehow. And, and he's, his quality is always a thing for him, you know, and, and to some point that does end up leading to more expensive products. And that is kind of one thing that we do have to battle is that some of our products compared to other products on the market are a little bit pricier. Um, like our bars, for instance, are, are a big one that people are, uh, are always kind of complaining about the price a little bit, but it's like, well, you know, we're not, we're using almond butter instead of peanut butter. You know, we're, we're not using really cheap filler ingredients. We're not using whey protein. You know, we're using things that are higher quality, which end up costing more. So, um, and that, that is, I think the, the biggest thing is if, if you compare a lot of our products to other products on the market, and this doesn't have to go for just using perfect keto products. This has to go for anytime you're shopping for a supplement, you, you kind of alluded to it. Look at the ingredient list. If you don't know what something is, then it's probably not a real food and you probably don't need to be eating it. And that doesn't, you know, yeah, some people might look up an exogenous ketone supplement and not know what beta hydroxybutyrate is and they might need to look it up. But when you're seeing things, uh, you know, some of these filler ingredients like carrageenan or whatever it is that they have in, in a lot of these products, which is like a neurotoxin that we see being included in so many processed goods. And, um, you know, you see people using all these different um, fibers that are that don't behave like fiber at all. Um, it's, it's a big problem and it's an, especially a problem in the low carb space. I mean, there's, there's one company and again, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but there's one company that I tested one of their products that was marketed as a low carb product, three grams of net carbs. I ate it. I tested my blood sugar and my blood sugar doubled after I had it. It went from 82 to 164 in 30 minutes. And this was something that was being marketed to ketogenic dieters. So uh, this is just, it, it was incredible. I have never seen anything like that. And, and that's the type of stuff that gets us really fired up here. And that's why, you know, we, we first released our bars back in, uh, I think it was October of last year. And it took like a year and a half and they went through like 10 to 12 renditions of that bar because we would get the bars in and Dr. Gustin would eat them and he would, he was wearing a continuous blood glucose monitor. He was testing his blood sugar response. And then if it, if he wasn't getting the response he wanted, it was nope, back to the drawing board. We got to fix it. We got to make it better. And, and it would finally, we just got to the point where we found something that, that had such a minimal effect on blood sugar, if any, depending on who you are. And that was what allowed it to pass the test that we ended up putting it to market. So that's, I think the bigger thing too. So the first thing is obviously ingredients, you know, pay attention to it. There shouldn't, you should have a very small ingredient list of things that, you know, that should be the key to determining what a good supplement is or a good food product, whatever it is that you're looking at. Uh, but then the other thing is, is test it on yourself just because the ingredient label might look nice or just because something is labeled as low carb or paleo or vegan, whatever diet is that you're following doesn't mean that it's a good, uh, a good food product and doesn't mean that your body's going to respond well to it. So, you know, doing like a blood glucose test after eating something is going to be a really good way to tell. 
And and that's also a good testament to the fact that like there is some bio individuality here too. Like what my body responds to, the way my body responds to a product may be different from yours. So that is reason to test. Um, but I think that 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 goes without saying that may be more important than anything is how your body responds to it. So um, I, I think that we we need to do a better job. It, I, I see it as more of a problem in this low carb space because. What people will do, we've convinced people that they need to look at the nutrition label, which is great, but they just look at carbs. That's really about it. They flip it around, they look at carbs and sugar, but they don't look at the ingredients. And, you know, there was, uh, I forget where what the product was, but there was some low carb ice cream at Whole Foods. I was looking uh, a couple months ago and it was low carb. You know, if you just looked at the carbs, it looked like it was, it was good to go, but they were using uh, corn oil and um, canola oil and at like, Whole Foods, shame on them. Austin, Texas, come on, go down there and give them crap. They do have <laughs> a lot of canola oil in their stores, man. I mean, yeah. I, I, I give them credit for, you know, transforming the grocery industry, but, uh, for some reason there doesn't seem to be agreement that, um, this stuff is nasty. It's throughout their salad bar and in a lot of stuff mm-hmm. on the shelves. It doesn't make sense totally. to me. Sorry, totally. Whole Foods. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you're totally right. And, uh, and this is a problem anywhere. I mean, you go into a, you know, there's a place down here in Austin, a restaurant that I go to that, you know, markets itself as being a really good organic whole food, uh, restaurant. And I was, I was sitting in there one day, I was eating like a Cobb salad or, or actually, I think it was when I was on carnivore because I was grateful that I didn't get a Cobb salad. Uh, I was, I was just having like a steak and eggs and I was looking in the back, they were making their salad dressing and they just brought out like a five gallon drum of canola oil that they were pouring in there. And I'm like, Oh my God, thank God I'm not having a ranch or blue cheese or anything right now. Like, um, and it's a big problem and that it's like, and this is actually to kind of bring this into this, the conversation, this direction, this is actually one of the reasons why I think there's such a discrepancy in some of the research. When we look at, uh, if you have a study, for example, where we put tw- like 20 people on a ketogenic diet, right. And, and, you know, 20 people is a pretty small sample size and we put them on and we give them macronutrients and we, we kind of give them guidance on the diet and then we just let them go. And then we test their blood lipids at the end of it. And maybe we test like their CRP and different you know, blood measures like that. If I'm eating grass-fed, grass-finished beef cooked in butter um, you know, that I'm making at home, and you're going to McDonald's and you're eating a bunless cheeseburger that's you know, grain-fed, cooked in canola oil, highly processed dairy on top of it, we're going to see some different results despite the fact that our, our uh, you know, macronutrients might be the exact same, right? Uh, and this is one of the reasons why it's very hard to take some of these studies at face value because it's like, yeah, maybe the people are on keto, but there's a lot of different ways that you can follow a ketogenic diet. I mean, you know, some people can be eating pork rinds and nacho cheese, and some people can be eating, you know, avocados and and grass fed steak. There's there's just a big difference here. So, um, ingredients is, is just something that we need to pay attention to. Macronutrients is such and, and calories, you know, get put in this too are such a small piece of the equation when it comes to our health, um, and you know, and also to, I'm kind of ranting here, but to, to go off of that a little bit more, um, it's, it's about when we, when we talk about keto and low carbon, whatever, we focus really heavily on cutting out certain things out of our diet, but we forget to replenish them with the good things. Right. So it's like keto and everything is, it's not just about taking carbs out. It's about replacing it with really nutrient dense, high quality foods. And if we fail to do that, then you're not optimizing the diet. Whoa, man, Chris Irvin. <laughs> <laughs> and with a beautiful rant, that pretty much sums it up. I love it. That's it. <laughs> Go out and find some good food. Um, starting with, you know, just for your uh, appearance on the show, you're going to get a free jar of Perfect Keto MCT Oil Nut Butter, which is maybe the best product uh, on the planet that you can that you yes. can buy in a jar. I don't know how you, you dialed that one in, but oh my gosh. if You haven't lived in, until you've tried that. And if you want to try it on your dark chocolate, that's great. Uh, mm-hmm. But Totally. We barely even scratched the surface. I'm so excited to get your book, and uh, maybe we'll have you on uh, in the future to you know get into more than two or three of the 268 questions. So much more <laughs> to talk about, and I think so helpful. I really like your your message. Uh, everything at the company, uh, you know, putting out the education as well as the products and sticking to the quality. So great to have you on the show. Um, tell us a little more where we can uh, find the book or follow you guys to um, to get connected. 
Yeah. Well, so first off, I'll say thank you very much for the kind words. And I appreciate you having me on the show. It's been a blast chatting with you. Um, so if you want to find out more about Perfect Keto, you know, we have our website, perfectketo.com. Uh, and then we have our social media channels. I think Instagram is, is probably our best social media channel there. So that's at Perfect Keto. Uh, if you're interested in the book, it's available on Amazon and you can find it by searching Keto Answers. And it's available in Kindle and paperback right now, but we're going to have an audio version coming out in the next few months. And then if you're interested in seeing more things about me, um, and I have a website that's the ketologist and then I have a, um, Instagram platform. I have all social media platforms, but Instagram is kind of the best one for, you know, if you have a, a question, you can DM me and I'll answer you usually pretty quickly. Uh, and that's at the ketologist as well. And then, uh, YouTube, I actually just started diving into YouTube in the last month and I'm going to be trying to put a lot of time into creating more video content. So if you follow me there, uh, you'll, you'll see some fresh new things coming out there as well. Nice. And I think Justin, uh, hooked me up and, and listeners, if you go to perfectketo.com slash Brad, uh, there's, there's a, um, a 15% discount in it for you. So that's Sweet. pretty fun. I would definitely yeah, take recommend advantage of that. Yeah. Recommend the nut butter people. You can't, you can't miss with that and all the other totally. stuff. So the ketone supplement world and learning all about the diet. Thank you so much, Chris Irvin. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Da, 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 da. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my god! So she likes like the mayo on. Oh yeah, she so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the the ranch. Um, the avocado oil we use all the time, and and so you know that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> That's my pleasure.